When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Could it happen to the Edmonton Oilers again? Yes, it could. Three years ago, the Oilers won the 2015 NHL Draft Lottery with 11.5% odds of gaining the right to choose Connor McDavid first overall. This year, the Oilers head into the 2018 Lottery holding the ninth overall pick. They have a 5% chance of winning the first overall pick and shots at moving up to second or third overall or dropping back to 10th, 11th, or 12th. If the Oilers win one of the lotteries, they will certainly hang on to the pick and take a blue chip prospect. But if they don't, trading it is a definite possibility. I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to hockey writers Jim Matheson and Derek Van Deest about the Oilers and Saturday's draft lottery, plus the progression of the NHL playoffs and the moves made around the league in the coaching and management departments and how they look from an Edmonton standpoint. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for April 26th, 2018. You know what I want to talk about right off the top is what is going to happen when the Oilers win the draft lottery and pick first overall. Again. Well, they're all in for Dolan. You know that. Everybody is, though, because he's... I mean, it's funny. Nobody wants to talk about the draft lottery until your team's in it. And then you say, oh, maybe we're going to win it. Yeah. You know, and everybody's writing a story of, whoa, what if they win? And there's one player, Rasmus Dolan, is considerably better than everybody else in the draft this year. And he's, you know, supposed to be a generational defenseman. Um, you know, Nick Lidstrom says he's better than he was at the same age. So, and you know, lots of people say he's the equivalent of Victor Hedman, only not six foot six. So, yeah, I mean, if you can win the lottery, great. But there's three lotteries now, and if you don't win the first one, you're in the second one, and you're you're in the third one. So, if they picked in the top three, that's fine. There's enough players there. 
once it gets past, you know, if they're picking nine, I don't know if they want to keep that pick. Yeah, I think it's you're at the point where it's it'd be almost embarrassing if the Oilers won the lottery again. Uh, you can't just they've already changed the rules three times, I think, for because the Edmonton Oilers kept you know choosing first. Um, they didn't necessarily win the lotteries, but they they got they benefited the most from the, the lotteries, uh, getting the first overall pick four times. So yeah, I, I I just can't imagine the reaction of the rest of the league if if that happened again. I think it would they would just be up in arms and. And they might just have to make an Edmonton Oilers rule saying, you know what, if you win the lottery, you can't win it for the next four years. <laughs> well, I'm surprised they haven't done that. I'm yeah. surprised that a team that wins the lottery, they haven't put that, that time frame in. So if you win, you can't win it. There's a f- five-year window. If you win, you can't win again for five years. Uh, this time around, however, the Oilers usually are in the bottom three. So, <laughs> you know, they're not moving up that far from three to two to one. Yeah. Now they're, they're ninth. So their odds aren't great that they're going to win the lottery, only 5%, so not great. So we'll see. So if the Oilers don't win the lottery, if they stay where they are at number nine, move down, they, I think GM Shirelli has already said that they can entertain trading the pick. Is that what you think the Oilers should do? If they, oh, I don't know what kind of a market there is for that, that you would have level. To, you would trade them to a team with no first-round pick. Include, which means the team down the road in Calgary. Yeah. They don't they have a second-round pick either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could look around and see, okay, what teams don't have a first-round pick? Some teams got two, uh, and that's the team you – and, you know, they need a right-shot offensive defenseman or a right-winger, of which there are many in the draft, you know, in the top ten. So they could pick there too, but they need, they need help now. I don't think you can – most people think as long as you've got McDavid in his prime, I don't know how much you can wait for him without surrounding with better players. Yeah, and I think that Peter Shirley's timeline is is a little shorter than than it was maybe when he took the job. I think he's on he's on the clock basically to win next year. If the team does not make the playoffs next season, um, Peter Shirley and likely the rest of the entire coaching staff is out. I, I think it, the writing's on the wall there: make the playoffs or you're out. Uh, you can't come in and take this job and, and miss the playoffs three out of four years, uh, and and you know keep losing trades the way he's doing and making bad decisions the way he has. And they're starting to pile up on him. So he looks at this and and says, uh, yeah, unless he wins number one, two, or three, um, I think that trade has to be picked. Has to be that pick has to be traded for someone that can come in and have an impact on your hockey team next season. Uh, and obviously, I don't. I think outside of the top three picks. Uh, guys four through nine aren't going to do that these are guys that you're going to get and you're going to develop and you hope your team they get you know they're becoming impact players five years from now and peter shirley doesn't have that luxury he doesn't have the luxury of time so that's why he looks at that pick and says we have to trade it for someone that can come in and make an impact and, and i think i don't think he'll trade it straight up i think it's something that he can package with someone else but you need to get yourself a player and also you can't lose this trade you cannot come on the wrong end of this trade and it's easy to trade assets and not get the return back um that's easy to do i could do that jim could do that you could do that it's you have to be able to make a good solid trade and win a trade and get something back for that for that first round pick that'll that's going to be an impact impact guy on your team next year so he can't swing and miss like he did with reinhardt two years ago no, that was a you know I don't I don't put that one as much on, on Peter Shirelli as I do maybe the people around him because he didn't know he was told about Reinhardt and 
the Oilers were so big on Reinhardt, and I and I'm not sure why. I saw him play in junior, and I I just thought he was he was heavy footed, and he wouldn't be able to keep up at the NHL's at the NHL pace. And I didn't think he had the temperament to be kind of that mean, nasty defenseman. Um, I didn't necessarily think he had a great work ethic. Uh, but I was the only one that said, "Hey, this guy's not going to play in the NHL." It, it was, I was you know swimming upstream with that one and. And when they made that trade, I knew it was a bad trade off the beginning, and, and it turned out that way. It's one of the few mistakes Vegas made when they were picking in the expansion draft last year. They picked an awful lot of good players. They picked Griffin Reinhardt on the Oilers, off the Oilers expansion list rather than Jujar Kara, who Kara would probably be a fourth-line player on Vegas, maybe in and out of the lineup, as Brad Hunt is, but he'd be on their team. And you know, Griffin Reinhardt wasn't called up one minute from the minors this year in the American League so you know they never give him one one sniff at all so I think that's pretty tell telling so I don't know if he's one of the I think it's the, the Chicago Wolves are playing in the playoffs so I he's not one of the black aces called up I think Vegas's farm team is still playing in the American League yeah. And that Reinhardt trade was three years ago, not two. My mistake, because it was 2015 when he yeah, first Yeah, it was, it was the very first. It was the very first, first draft. Yeah. yeah, first year. First year. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that was more on the advice of his of his scouts and the people he had in place. I don't think you can totally pin that on him. Uh, but uh, you know that was a that was a bad deal, and I, and I think it just got him off on the wrong foot. And and you look at the players they passed up, and 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 now uh, you know Barzell's going to win Rookie of the Year, and and to me he Barzell was always a uh, a similar player to Jordan Embry, but with an edge, and that's was the knock on Jordan Embry is that he didn't have that edge and he didn't go to those hard places, and I think Barzell does. And why the Oilers didn't like him, I, I'm not sure why they didn't look at that and say, yeah, this is a guy that could that could help us. And can you imagine him on McDavid's wing? That'd be something else. Jake DeBrusque would look good on McDavid's wing. Yeah, but he was taken 14th after Connor McDavid, so they never had a shot at Jake DeBrusque. I think. That's true. Um, you know, thinking about the market for that pick, and like you said, Derek, you're not going to get a, a that kind of player the orders are looking for straight up for that pick. It would be a how to be a package deal. And you mentioned Calgary being a team that doesn't have a first overall pick. That would probably want one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, A, it is Calgary and Edmonton, even though trades do happen from time to time, you know, just because of the Alberta connection and the division thing, you know, I don't think we would expect some sort of a deal of that magnitude. That would be the biggest deal they've ever had, Yeah, wouldn't it? Um, but I think we can forget teams trade in their own division now. And I guess it's Calgary and Edmonton, but so what? I mean, you know, I think... This isn't like the days in the Battle of Alberta where you would no more have an oiler playing for Calgary than fly to the moon. I think those days have passed. If I think if Brad Treleving called and said, what about your first-round draft choice? And I'll give you, we'll talk about Dougie Hamilton, who you wanted to get. And Boston wouldn't trade him to you. They traded him to us. Yeah. And what else can you give me for Dougie Hamilton? So, you know. I think Calgary's in a similar state that the Edmonton Oilers are in, though. I think uh, Trey Living is is down to his last head coach. You usually, say that a GM can you got three, two fires as a head coach, and then your third guy. If the third guy doesn't work out, then you're probably out the door with him. So I think he's in the same boat. If Calgary doesn't make the playoffs next year. Um, he's probably out of a job as well, as well as Brian Burke. And I think they they clean house there. Um, I'm not sure what the status of Bill Peters would be, but I think it's a situation where Calgary doesn't have the time to develop 
a first-round pick, second-round pick. That's not a guy that's going to come in and play right away. So while that first-round pick would be appealing to them, um, they're, I think they're also looking for people that will help them now as opposed to three, four, or five years from now. Brought up Jake DeBrusque. We're going to segue talking about NHL playoffs, and obviously Jake is an Edmontonian, Western Hockey League uh, alumni, and he's the son of Louie from what are now. Now, he's been doing broadcasting for a while now, hasn't he? What about Jake? I mean, you said we couldn't, there's no way the Oilers could have picked him in the draft in 2015. Um, They could have have moved up one spot. Could they have? Two spots. They have to pick. They shouldn't have traded for Reinhardt. (laughs) I guess maybe, yeah. They could have tried and moved up and gone, I guess. What about this? This is Jake DeBrusque's first full season in the NHL, and he has a performance like he's had for Boston's first-round series against Toronto. Scores five goals, and including, you know, a very memorable one last night. Yeah. He's a good player. What he's got going for him is he, he's got skill, but he's also got some competitive fire to him. He scores goals around the net. He takes hits to score the goals. And uh, he's not a prototypical Bruin in that he's not big, but he tends to score the goals where the fans in Boston like you to score them from, five feet from the net. So, yeah, he's a really good player. Um, I know when he got drafted, there were a lot of scouts said, whew, Jake DeBrus, that's a little high. Most people had him later in the first round. But he's proven they had three picks that year, Boston, in a row. And he's the one that's in the NHL. And um, the other two players they they took are in the American League. And, and if you pick their top ten prospects, those other two players would not be near the top. So DeBrusque has really panned out. Yeah, I think what, what, what Jake DeBrus brings, he, he's incredibly quick. You saw that. He's got the speed to beat you wide, which which he did last night on that second goal. But he's got great hands, and he's got great great hands and, and uh, a great knack for the net. So obviously he didn't get that from Louis. Like Louis used his hands for, for different purposes. But, but I think he does have his, his dad's great tenacity. And, 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 uh, and Louis was a very competitive guy. He still is a very competitive guy. And I think he, he got that from, that from him. And then you just add the skill element to his game. And I think he, he's, he's the prototypical player that you need nowadays, a guy that can get up and down the ice and is not afraid to go to the hard areas. And For example, that, that second goal, he cut to the net when he knew he was going to get belted. Um, that and, and a lot of people thought that he would go around the net, throw it out in front, but he cut to the net. He knew that was the play. He took the shot, and he scored the goal. So he'll pay the price to score the goal. I think that was uh, indicative of that on that play. I like his honesty, player. too. He said he was going high blocker and went right through his legs. <laughs> he didn't lie and say, oh, I, saw, I was going five hole. I saw a hole there. Yeah. No, he said he was going high blocker. Obviously, it <laughs> didn't get all of, all of the shot. Yeah. He slid it right through his legs, so. You're right. He, hit, he took the hit. Uh, not a very good play by by Gardner, who circled to try to skate with him instead of just backing up. But, yeah. But you know, it was a very good goal. And five goals is five goals. You know, plays five goals already yeah. in his first playoff, and you know, that's the kind of guy he's got five. The way it usually works in the NHL is you're hot for one round, and then the next round somebody else steps up. So I wouldn't expect to get him to get five more in this second round. Uh, against Tampa, but um, you know, maybe he finishes with eight or ten or something like that if Boston keeps playing. You said Boston fans like their goals from five feet out. Don't we all? Or do we like them more from the blue line? 
Well, you don't get many from the blue line anymore. Yeah. Most of the goals are scored tight to the net. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody likes those kinds of goals. But, but Boston does have a player that can score from farther out, and that's Pasternak. He can score from farther out too. But uh, yeah, it's you know it's they're they're dying in Toronto right now because they they figured the Leafs might be able to knock them off. But tough to beat the Bruins three in a row. Yeah, and I think the Bruins are just too deep for the Leafs. I think, you know, you look at the fact the Bruins didn't get any production from Rick Nash, and Rick Nash is being paid $7.8 million this season. I know the Bruins are only paying half that salary, but he didn't do anything in that series, and so they needed guys like DeBrus to step up and fill that gap. I, I really hope Nick Rick Nash kind of brings it in the second and third round because they paid a, a heavy price to get him for this playoff front. When and does Rick been, Nash play well in the playoffs? Yeah, not well, not very often. He never played I mean, the playoffs he makes in Columbus. A lot of money. He's a good player. <clears throat> he's not as good a player as he could have been for a first overall draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the Rangers all those years, he would be pretty good in the regular season, not so good in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some, he's had some concussion issues. He's To me, he's a perimeter player now. He looks like a, a player, but not much happens. And you're right; they gave up a first round. We're one of their better, better prospects too, I think. Yeah. So, um, Lindgren, a defenseman, Ryan Lindgren. So, yeah, but they're deep, and the Leafs are good too. Two of their better players played in the fourth line: Kapanen and uh, Andreas uh, Janssen. So they got two really skilled players on their fourth line. And Nash, is, he's unrestricted at the, after this season? Yeah, yeah I think this is last year. So. Yeah. yeah, so that's why, they, that's why the Bruins took a, took a flyer. And they got him for half the price because the Rangers were willing to, to pay half his salary. But um, I, I still like the Bruins to go far. I like the Bruins to go all the way. I Just the way <laughs> the season has gone for, for Peter Shirelli, it would just be another kick in the butt for have the Bruins win, to have Taylor Hall win the MVP, and then have uh, Barzell win the Rookie of the Year. It just, I think it just it's all lining up that way. And the Bruins and Stanley Cup final. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure they'll beat Tampa. Tampa's really good. You know, that'll be a good series, too. Yeah, and, you know, all the series, uh, you know, we have potential Stanley Cup winners from all of them. Pittsburgh, Washington. Obviously, Pittsburgh's won the last two. You know, we have Winnipeg and Nashville. Nashville being the finalist last year. And of course, uh, everybody's favorite Cinderella story, the Vegas Golden Knights in San Jose. I get you know, this will just be even more interesting to watch the second round than than watching the first round. Pittsburgh will beat Washington. They beat Washington every year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's funny because Sidney Crosby takes his game to a new level in the playoffs, and I, it, it's it's just a he's just, he's always the driving force on that team. And I don't know if they'll have Malkin available for the, at least for the beginning of that series. But um, yeah, he it's the way he just elevates his game in the playoffs is 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 one of the reasons why Washington's never been able to get past him. You know, we talk about unrestricted free agents, you know, Rick Nash being one of them. But Patrick Maroon's another one, too. Um, of course, he was traded from the Oilers to the Devils at the trade deadline. And he's recently said uh, that he would like to remain in New Jersey if he could help it, up to the Devils, of course, since he's unrestricted free agents. Of course, he'd said the same similar kind of thing when he was leaving Edmonton, too. So what do we make of that? I think he's – did he say his mother lives in, in New Jersey or Philadelphia, one of the two, I think? So, and just some family ties there, and he, you know, he was he played. I'll tell you what, he looked much better for the New Jersey Devils than Michael Grabner, who the Rangers traded there, and they're all excited about getting the f- second fastest skater in the NHL. And Grabner did nothing. 
and Maroon, you know, got points and was on the power play and 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 stuff there. They can use Maroon on on that team because they have lots of fast players and not too many big players other than than him and Brian Boyle. So so he could he could get a contract there as long as it's he wants to take what Jersey's offering. Yeah, and Maroon get it will get. You know, he's got the benefit of Taylor Hall probably having some influence on that team there and he's friends with Taylor Hall and I think I think that'll that'll help out. And I think I, when Maroon said he wanted to come back here, I didn't think that was ever gonna happen. Most of he, I think he was just keeping doors open. When you when you're a player like that, you, you keep as many doors open as you can and he'll sign wherever anyone wants to sign him at, at this stage in his career. But I, I think he he would be a good fit in New Jersey and if he can keep up, he can get up and down the ice. As long as you can still get up and down the ice and you're not afraid to go to the front of the net bang in your 15 to 20 goals, you're going to get a job in this league, and I think he's a guy that can do that. Should be interesting to see what happens with Mark Letestu as well. I mean, he, he's an unrestricted free agent as well. Traded by the owners at the deadline to Columbus. Um, Played lots uh, when he went there. Didn't play very much in the first round. They cut Tortorella cut t- down to three lines. Uh, played four lines when they won the first two. And then they started losing, and then he cut down to three lines. And and Mark and Bra- and Brandon Dubinsky, who's making about six million a year, was getting four minutes a game. So John Tortorella went against the grain. In today's NHL, you play twelve forwards. The teams that win play four lines, twelve forwards. But he was only playing nine forwards. So um, Mark told me that uh, at his exit meeting, they did not express buyer's remorse after the trade so uh, they didn't also say they're going to sign up to a three year contract but they didn't say oh we want that fourth round draft pick back so um, but he'll wait and see his problem is is not that he he's not an NHL player it's just that he's 33 years old and if he's going to be a fourth line player most teams now are looking for younger fourth line players now Mark is not going to price himself out of the NHL he's a pretty smart guy he made a million eight as an oiler I'm sure he would he would play for one million in the NHL, and uh, you know, so he'll, somebody will sign Mark Latestu. Yeah, he'll be he'd be a good fit on a on younger a on a younger team and a good team on a, on a younger yeah. Good team. Yeah, on a team that has a lot of younger players and they need and looking for, for a right shot faceoff guy. Yeah, because he still wins lots of faceoffs and he's a right shot center. Yeah, and some stability in the dressing room and, and things like that. And I think the Oilers realized how important that was this year when they let. Uh, some of those veterans go, and then uh, they didn't have that veteran presence in the room. And even Peter Shirelli alluded to it that we let some veterans go and really didn't replace the intangibles that they brought. Uh, I think uh, Matt Hendricks was a big example of that. He was kind of the glue that kept that dressing room together last year. And even in the playoffs, a lot of even though he never played, a lot of guys said how valuable he was just being around during the playoff run. Um, so losing him, a guy like that. So I think that Mark Letesu can fit in a similar role. He's a guy that you root for. He's a good guy. He's a guy that works hard. Um, you know, he's had to fight and work for everything he's ever gotten in this league. And I think guys like that you can root for it and you can use in your room. So I think and he's a good person. And you know how it works in the NHL. You phone another general manager. What's this guy like? Oh, he's a really good guy. Good guy. You know, so that's how you still stay in the NHL. That's how the Dominic Moores of the world still stay in. Like if Dominic Moore can still be playing in the NHL, Mark Letestu yeah. can still play in the NHL. I mean, it's you know, for sure. I'm just not sure there's a spot for him in the Oilers. No, I don't, and I'm not yeah. sure of that either. Uh, you know, it looks like 
you know, if they if they perceive Kara as the fourth line center, then I don't know where where Mark would play. Um, for sure, he's he's got to be the fourth line center. And if they see Kara as a winger, then there might still have room for him. But um, if if Kara is a center, then I don't see Mark coming back here. Well, we'll wait and see when July first rolls around. But one thing, some things that have been happening in the NHL with coaching. Um, of course, we've had some coaching moves already in the offseason, but the latest one was Calgary, firing Glenn Gulson and most of his staff. Marty Jelena is still being retained by the Flames. But, of course, they've uh, brought in Bill Peters, who basically resigned from the Hurricanes on Friday and then Monday. Here he is, the new Flames head coach. Now, of course, with Neil and Edmonton, we still have a coaching staff. We have Todd McClellan as the head coach. and uh, But, you know, as we talked about before and we've written about, the orders aren't, you know, saying yay or nay to retaining, you know, at least the assistant coaching staff, if not everybody. And uh, but the Flames sure made a quick move, very decisive. But how does it, any impact for they the orders there? They made the move because there were other teams were interested. And the World Championships is coming up, and Peters had to go coach in the World Championships, so... You're going to hire him before he goes over to the World Championships to coach Canada's team. So they did it a couple of days before he's going over. I think they they left today and, uh, for uh, a training camp in Riga in uh, Latvia before going to Denmark. So they hired him first, and then that you know the Rangers fired Elaine Vigneault, so they're looking for a coach as well. Um, I don't know if Guy Boucher survives in in Ottawa or not. They might be another opening there as well. Dallas, certainly with Ken Hitchcock retiring, there's an opening there. So, a lot of general managers are. When you start firing coaches, then they start looking at the general managers. I think things have changed. They used to, as Derek pointed out, you could fire lots of coaches before they started looking at the general manager. Now they're starting to look at the general manager almost at the same time as they look at a coach and mm-hmm. says, so we can get a different general manager. So, um, you, you pretty much have to make a decisive move as a general manager. That's the guy I want. Get him before somebody else does. I, I really don't think it's fair what the Oilers are doing with their coaching staff right now, letting them twist in the wind like this. This is this is really not fair to them not knowing what their future is with the organization. And I think this is one of the systemic problems with the Edmonton Oilers. Make a decision. They can't make a decision. If you're letting your assistants go, let them go so they have other opportunities because there are other opportunities going to go. You can't hang on to them and waiting to see if something better comes along. That's like holding on to a girlfriend waiting to see if you can get a better one. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to your staff. And, and everyone sees this. If you don't like the job they did, let them go and then move on and find someone else. But don't hang on to them and then and, and continue to look to see if there's something better Especially out Especially with your farm team coach. Yeah. Usually, I mean, there's lots of good candidates for farm team coaches. They're usually, you know, junior coaches. Yeah. So the season's now been over a couple of weeks in Bakersfield. If they don't want to renew Jerry Fleming's contract, just say, you know, sorry, Jerry, we're moving on. Washington just made an announcement yesterday, I think, about their coaching staff and the minors said, sorry, we're not uh, re-upping your contracts. Uh, I agree with Derek. You know, it's unfair uh, to not... Now, they may have been told, and they're just not releasing it yet. Who knows? But um, yeah, I would think that by now, they, sh- they know whether the assistants are all coming back. 
That said, maybe the head coach wants to keep one of the assistants or two of the assistants, and they're saying, no, no, we want somebody different. So mm -hmm. maybe there's a bit of a tug-of-war between Todd McClellan and the general manager as to the assistants. Why is that tug-of-war still going on? I mean, like you say, it's been well, two weeks. Well, the season ended, the, yeah, the 7th. Uh, so it's a little more than two weeks, two and a half weeks since the season ended. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, we all know that there's going to be changes in the coaching staff. Um, Trent Yanni's available now too. Uh, Anaheim didn't renew him. He was with Todd in, in uh, San Jose for three years. As a, he would he could coach their defenseman. Um, so, and again, I think the Oilers need an assistant coach who's been a head coach in the NHL. He could be the associate coach. Uh, Trent Yanni has been one of those in Chicago. But if he just looks after the defense, he looks after the defense. Or they need a young up-and-comer who can be a head coach in time on your staff or, at worst, on your minor league coach in your minor league team. Yeah. They missed the boat last year. I, I really think – I know they were very successful last year, but they did not hire De, uh, um, Chris Knobloch, Connor McDavid's coach and junior, after, you know – three or four straight 50-win seasons in Erie, and Philadelphia hired him as an assistant coach. Rocky Thompson was available after winning the Memorial Cup. They didn't hire him either, so Vegas hired him for their farm team. So that's two good young coaches they didn't, they didn't jump on. Um, so I, you know, I think they need a, a young coach somewhere in the organization, either on the Oiler, you know, Oiler staff or... If they're not going to bring Jerry Fleming back, and I, you know, and to be honest, I don't think they've done Jerry Fleming much, a whole lot of favors in the minors. There's, they've had some young defensemen this past year, no forwards. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he can say, "Well, what are you doing for us? You're not winning." There's no forwards. Last year, they went and signed a whole pile of American League forwards for their farm team, and many of whom, other than Brad Malone, did not do very much at all. Whether that was Callahan or Furlan or Downing or whoever else they they brought in, other than Brad Malone, they didn't do very much down there. And there's no young players. There's no young forwards. Puliarvi was the only one, and Ty Ratty, and Ratty was on the fence. There's nobody else down there in terms of forwards that you're going to go. Oh, this guy's definitely an NHLer. So, in terms of scoring goals down there, they didn't do him any favors. No, and and the owners have failed, obviously, developing players. They, 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 this, the whole system is, is broken with, when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. And I've always maintained that when they had those three first overall picks, they spent too much time debating on who they were going to take first overall, not enough time debating on who they were going to take 31st, 61st, 91st, et cetera, et cetera. They really had an opportunity to get themselves a really good young and getting a lot of good young players and develop those guys through the system. But they spent too much time worrying about the first overall pick. I hope they don't make the same mistake now. Wherever the draft lottery is, they spend too much time worrying about who they're going to take at, at two or three or four or, or what they're going to do with it. They need to have guys looking in the second and third round. That's where you develop the core of your team. That's where you develop the, the, the strength of your, of your organization. And they haven't done that with coaches as well. They haven't recognized good young coaches and allowed these coaches to develop in the American Hockey League. And, and it should be a route 
Other teams, successful teams do it. They get their American Hockey League coaches who eventually come up and, and, and be coaches in the in National Hockey League level. The Oilers don't do that. They've, they haven't done that. They did that a little bit with Todd Nelson, but then they let him go. So I think it's, it, it's, it's a problem that it's just systematic in the organization, the way things are run. And right now they really have, they have a lot of, of, of fixing to do. And someone has to look at this and say, okay, this is our issue. And we're not, we haven't done anything to solve it right now. And developing coaches is part of that. Could be partly be maybe assessing the players you have now. You identified Todd Nelson as being a coach who was in the system, and he was with the Oilers in the, on the American Hockey League uh, for a fair number of years. Plus, he was the interim head coach. But he left the Oilers because he didn't want to work as an assistant coach in the NHL. I think Todd would have hired him for his staff. Todd McClellan would have hired him for his staff because he knew Todd Nelson. But Todd wanted to be a head coach. He'd rather be a head coach in the American League than be an assistant coach in the NHL because he figures he's an NHL coach. And I think Todd Nelson is an NHL coach. He's, you know, he's um, interviewed for a few positions. Uh, I think he's going to be an NHL head coach someday. But that's why he left. But you're right. Uh, they've let some, some coaches get away. Yeah, Rocky Thompson's another one. You know. Close Julian. Yeah, sometimes those ha- those assistant coaches get pigeonholed as assistant coaches, and that's all the jobs they can ever get. And they, mm-hmm. but the guys that want to be head coaches, they will they will take a step back, and they will be head coaches in the American Hockey League because they want to be known as head coaches. They don't want to get known. And I think that was happening with Rocky Thompson, who is, and also the responsibilities they they give these assistants. Rocky Thompson didn't want to sit in a press box and take down notes. He wanted to be in 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 the battle he wanted to be there part of the game planning and things like that and I don't know how much of that he got to do when he was assistant here uh, you know the, uh, same thing with Ian Herbers you know I think he's going to go back to the University of Alberta three years sabbaticals over and jobs there for him and he was sitting in the press box for the you know most of his mm-hmm. three years here yeah. he wasn't on the bench and he's used to being a head coach he was a head coach in the minors and uh, head coach of the Bears so uh, and, I, and I really think Jim Johnson's a good coach and I think Jay Woodcock, are, they're good, both good coaches, but they're perceived to be assistant coaches, not head coaches. And uh, there are career assistant coaches in this league, and of which one is Perry Pern, who's excellent at what he does. Uh, but most teams have a coach on staff who they perceive can be a head coach someday. I was going to bring up Chuck Fletcher. Um, not that I think he's a candidate to become the general manager of the Oilers, since we all know Peter Shirelli is coming back. But even be, you know, before we had uh, the uh, media conferences at the end of the season with McClellan and Shirelli and Nicholson, I mean, the idea that you know Shirelli is somehow not living up to his role as mm-hmm. a general manager, and that if someone came free a significant general manager like, say, Ken Holland, would the Oilers want to jump all over that opportunity? Now, Chuck Fletcher hasn't won a Stanley Cup with the Minnesota Wild, but his teams have been in the playoffs an awful lot. And He just got fired. His team made the playoffs six straight years. Well, I think the the situation with Chuck Fletcher, though, he convinced the owner to spend ridiculous amounts of money on Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, saying that these are the guys that will get you over the top. And they didn't get them over the top. They never, they never contended for a Stanley Cup. Uh, I think they they made it as far as a second round. 
I think that's as far as they ever made it. So when you convince an owner to spend whatever ridiculous amount of what, $200 million on two players or whatever it was close to that, um, and, and telling them that, yeah, if you spend the $200 million on these two star players, I'll have you the Stanley Cup within four years, and you don't get anywhere near that, and you see that you're going in the other direction, the owner says, you know what, yeah, that's that's why it's not working here. They, they spent a lot of money trying to get that team um, as to be a Stanley Cup contender. And, and Minnesota is always a team that, that's just hanging around there, but they were never really a team considered to be a contender for the Stanley Cup. And I think that's, if I was the owner, I would be upset with that because I'm pretty sure that was what the selling point was. Suter and Parisi will get us the Stanley Cup, and they didn't even come close. Oh, and he, he had nine years there too. Chuck Fletcher was there for nine years. That's a long run as a general manager. So Chuck will Chuck will get another job as a general manager. He's only 51 years old to get another job. He's good at what he does. Minnesota, I agree with Derek. They're always good enough to get into the playoffs, but there's no star players on their team. There's no, there's no Shifley. There's no Wheeler. There's no Line A, like when you're playing the Jets, per se. They, there's no game breaker at forward. Yeah. They're, I mean, Suter is a very good defenseman. He's, he's been one of the best defensemen in the league for a dozen years. And he's usually, in, you know, by most standards, in the top half dozen to eight best defensemen in the league. But he's not a point producer as a defenseman goes. He's just a really good player. And Parise is a uh, really good player, but not a star. And there's no stars in the team. So when they play a team with a star, you know, even at Colorado's got Nathan McKinnon. You know, there's no star forward on the Wild. And I don't know if you can win unless you've got one game breaker uh, on your team. It almost sounds like the Oilers of the pre-2004-5 lockout. Well, yeah, and, and, and you get into this, this situation with Minnesota, it, you're always middle of the pack. So in order to get a star player, you have to bottom out and get a star player through the draft and develop them, and you got to hope one's available the year you get the pick in the top five. Uh, and Minnesota's always been kind of middle roads. So they're always getting the 10 to 20 pick or something like that. You're not going to get a star player at that pick. So I think that's uh, that's a problem that you get into when you're just mediocre. You, you you stay mediocre. It's it's tough to get beyond that uh, if you never bottom out. And of course, you know, no fan base wants their team to bottom out. But sometimes you have to bottom out in order to kind of get those star players. And you have to when you get those opportunities, you have to make the most of them. The Oilers obviously didn't because two of those three guys are no longer around that they they chose first overall. Um, and so, or two of those four, sorry. Um, and they didn't do anything to to fill the covers when it comes to their development system. So I think that's what the issue is with Minnesota is that they've been mediocre, they've been middle of the pack, and you, sometimes you're just going to stay at middle of the pack unless you're willing to blow it all up. Well, blowing it all up works, and it, it would work in Minnesota. It's hockey. They'll go and watch the games no matter what. You could be bad in Minnesota. They'll still go and watch the hockey. Yeah, but I think that Suter and Parise contract, those would be tough to, yeah. to unload. But they still go watch. They'll still, still, and they still do go watch the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, and and that's a team that, when did they last have a pick in the top five? You know, how many years ago was that? Was it Stevie Y? Yeah. I mean, I think every team is trying to somehow, some way, replicate that sort of scenario. And it's, it, only, it only happens once a generation. Yeah. I mean, you only have the Detroit Red Wings and maybe even Pittsburgh now. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks, but even Chicago is now you know, coming down below into uh, lottery territory. 
Um, so I guess, you know, me bringing up Chuck Fletcher and talking about Peter Shirelli, trying to find that manager and that management team that is going to, you know, put all the pieces together in order to have sustain, sustained success in the NHL. Well, that's what everybody wants, and that's a very hard thing to do, is it not? It is. I, I think the fan in Edmonton is, is taking a step <coughs> back, a, a couple of steps back after last year. I think next year, I think the Oilers will make the playoffs. And if they finish eighth, they finish eighth. So be it. They'll just play a better team. We'll see what happens. And the fan in Edmonton will say, okay, this is the way it should have been two years ago, to be honest. Just get into the playoffs. We win a round or we lose a round. Don't tease us here by getting 103 points. So, I mean, they got enough good players to make the playoffs next year. Um, and you know, just go from there. But there's, it's funny, last year when they had 103 points, there was no holes in the roster. Oh, what a team. Now they get 78 points, and you're looking at, oh, right winger, offensive defenseman. They don't have nothing on the minor league. Yeah. So you're looking at all the negatives. Last year there was no negatives. Well, I, I think the situation with last year is they, they, they didn't have any adversity when it comes to they didn't lose a top six forward. They didn't lose a top, six, a top four defenseman, and the goalie didn't get hurt all year. They didn't have any depth. And they were able to ride that despite the fact they don't have depth. And, and, and nowadays, you need that depth. You need guys to come in and fill in when guys go down. And then the first time they did get some adversity, when it came is they lost a top four defenseman, and then they lost some top six forwards, and all of a sudden they had no one there to replace them. And I think that was the issue, and it really exposed the Oilers' lack of depth this season. And, and that's one of the issues that the team is going to face until they can restock the minor leagues with some decent players, with some guys that can come in and help you. Particularly now when you're paying your top two forwards $20 million a season. You need younger, cheaper guys to fill in some of those voids, and and, and Pittsburgh's done it. They've been able to go out there and draft guys and that have come in and helped right away in, in their entry-level contracts. And, uh, and the Oilers haven't been able to do that. And I, that, that goes back to you got high level, high draft picks. And you're spending too much time talking about who you're going to pick number one and not enough time focusing on who you're going to pick 31. And I think that came back and, and really hurt the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers have signed a lot of players in the last several weeks, forwards, whether they're juniors or college players or whatever. So they're trying to restock the minor league team with forwards. But if you're going to have all these uh, wingers, you better – Go out and make sure you've got one $300,000 veteran American League center to play with Yamamoto and Benson and these other guys you've got mm -hmm. coming because it's a waste of time if you've got these young wingers and no center, no veteran American League center. And I'm sure that's what they'll be doing. They'll be trying to find a, a, a veteran scoring American League player to play with uh, those high-end wingers they've drafted. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.